I'm Jason Van Metting. And I'm Ksenia Chmutana. Welcome to Disasters Deconstructed Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to Disasters Deconstructed. Hey Jason. Hey Ksenia, how are you? I'm alright, how are you? I'm alright, I need to learn to get more sleep at night time. <laughs> we were talking about this before, uh, and I think you're um, a bit a bit better in terms of being an adult and getting sleep. I don't know what my problem is. What is your problem? You know, just, I mean, this is part of adult life, right? It should be. Um, <laughs> to be able to sleep. You know how, like, when you're a kid, right, and everybody will tell you, like, to go to bed at 9 o'clock or to tell you, like, sleep during the day, and everyone hates it, right? Yeah. I would, like, do give anything for that now. <laughs> So aside from my sleep patterns, what else are we going to talk about today, Ksenia? Well, if I may suggest disasters, you know, okay. as crazy as it okay, may sound. Let's do it. <laughs> so last week we spoke to Rohit um, and it was absolutely great. You know, I, I, I really like Rohit's kind of motivation for thinking about place as a holistic one you know a holistic space yeah. a kind of and taking holistic approach to heritage and value and space um, and also how we talk about space and who talks about space and when we talk about space and the value of that space particularly after a disaster so today i guess we continue with the same discussion yeah and today we're going to talk more about whose stories we are hearing in relation to the people that actually inhabit these places right and different ways of getting that story out and today we're talking about documentary filmmaking as a focus so today with us we've got Zainab Gul Unal who is a professor of the restoration department and the director of research center for preservation of historical heritage at the Ildis Technical University in Istanbul uh, Zainab also is a trainer and a former team leader and now a team member in urban search and rescue team. And Zainab has been involved in many national and international human search and rescue operations after disasters. And she's also a project coordinator of the eCorp uh, on the road project, which we will be talking quite a lot today. And most importantly, Zainab is a very good friend. So welcome. It's great to have you here. Oh, thank you, Senia. It's a great pleasure to be with you, even and uh, internet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks for being with us, Senia. Really great to um, have you on the line. So maybe um, to kick us off, you could tell us a little bit about yourself. We know that you started as a specialist in heritage preservation. Um, so maybe let us uh, know a bit more about how you ended up in disaster risk management. Um, sure. Uh Actually, due to the geography, uh, if you live in a uh, place is uh, very open to disasters, uh, I know that because Xenia is in there, it's a taboo word is natural disaster and human induced disaster. <laughs> I will not tell that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, we have lots of uh, earthquake in this uh, neighborhood and uh, in our borders and uh, neighbor countries, uh, conflicts going on in all around. And therefore, this is a part of our expertise. Unvoluntarily, we start to work like that. In fact, actually, the heritage preservation at the same time is a kind of risk management because you always have a risk to the heritage. And this can be a humidity, 
this can be a landsliding, this can be a terrorist attacks, but it's all uh, related with the risk management. But how I started, uh, when I was a young researcher in 1994, I started with the Bosnian war. Our colleagues from Bosnia moved to Istanbul and uh, they started to work in the Irsika Research Center and they were collecting in there all the information related with the heritage buildings uh, has a destruction and uh, during the Bosnian war. And I was working with them. I was working with the uh, professor uh, Amir Pasic in that time. And uh, what made me amazed, we had a big drawing of uh, Mostar Bridge in our office. And uh, after the destruction of the uh, Mostar Bridge, uh, we put all the codes to the, each stones that we were always talking about how we can reconstruct the bridge. And our colleagues from Bosnia, they were sending all the images during the war. And bef before the war is ended, they come, some of them come to the Istanbul, we had a meeting, and they were all talking about uh, how they can reconstruct the bridge. And we know that they had lots of loss. They lost their family members, they lost their friends, and they always wondered that how they continue, how they do not give up. And once uh, one of the professor uh, was leading the project, I asked him how you can continue. And he told me that uh, this bridge, only the sign that show us once upon a time, two different groups were living together. And if we do not reconstruct this, we will never remember how we live together once upon a time. Uh, that was, I think, the moment that uh, I decided to continue to uh, risk management and the continue to conflict areas and uh, other disaster areas. Wow, that's a great story to start off with, I think. And um, we know that you're actively involved in lots of search and rescue operations. And you've been to Nepal, Haiti and Albania um, after an earthquake a few months ago. So what mo motivates you to do this? And how does heritage fit within search and rescue? Yeah, uh, in maybe some of you can remember that in 1999, we had a big earthquake in Marmara region in Turkey. We lost lots of lives and we lost our loved ones. Many buildings had a collapsed or damage and the heritage buildings also uh, had a, not a big damage, but a small damage. Uh, then during that time, uh, I was, I started to work voluntarily to, uh, in humanitarian aid. Then uh, we figure out that uh, usually the in many countries, search and rescue groups, uh, in, we call that silent times, get their training from the uh, concrete construction buildings, actually. Uh, we usually do not know the traditional construction system. In case of any, uh, especially the earthquake hit the area, uh, we do not know the behavior of the buildings as an architect, but as a uh, restoration architect, we know the behavior of the building and give us a chance to win the golden times for reaching the victims. Then how I started to work with them. And then I became a team member. Then I continued to work in many disasters. 
then this is not a chance. You cannot say it's a chance, but you know, you are witnessing the how the disaster after the disaster, how the things going on in disaster areas. This is the first time you get the information. Then you had a chance to bring that knowledge to the recovery phase. Uh, since then, I'm working in the disaster areas. You know, I mean, your stories are absolutely fascinating and often very sad, you know, about search and rescue. We've talked about it so many times. And I think last time when we were supposed to meet, you went to Albania because the earthquake happened and that's why we missed each other. Yeah. So, but what I want you to tell us is about this exciting project that you've been working on a lot recently is the iCorp on the road and as you know thanks to you I'm a lucky owner of the handband of the iCorp <laughs> on the road uh, it's pleasure. I will, <laughs> I'll post lots of pictures on Twitter so everyone can be really yes. jealous um but uh, basically, so the project was launched by the um, ECOMOS International Scientific Committee on Risk Preparedness. And the aim of this project was to showcase um, different inspiring stories uh, that are told by professionals and also local communities in order for them to voice, I guess, their opinions, right, and tell us about post-disaster response and recovery of cultural heritage from all of, all around the world. And we will put the links to the project for our listeners on the show notes. So, you know, please watch out. The first episode came out last Monday, right? And the first yes. episode was about the sacred valley of Kathmandu. It's absolutely brilliant. If you haven't watched it yet, please do. Um, as I said, we've, we'll show the links. And there are at least six more episodes to come after that, right? Uh, yes, five more right now, five more episodes. But if we can continue, yeah, we are expecting more episodes. <laughs> this, is, this is great. But so tell us, you know, how did this project, how did iCorp on the road come about? Because you guys go kind of all around the world. You've been to Nepal, you've been to so India, Brazil, Mali, and many other places. And you go and talk to people about their heritage. So what motivates you to travel and how did you come up with this idea? Yeah, uh, if you watch the first episode, actually, in first couple of minutes, you will see the, some videos from the search and rescue operations in uh, Nepal. That was taken mm-hmm. from by our search and rescue groups, actually. That was from their uh, footage. And after that, uh, it was an interview. Actually, our uh, re- search and rescue groups uh, reached the site, Gia search and rescue groups, in uh, during the day. Uh, then they start to search and rescue. After they finish, they ask a permission from the government to uh, document the damage in the Kathmandu Valley. And in that time, uh, it was an interview. Maybe you see that the young lady is talking about the heritage mm-hmm. in front of the collapsed building. And then after watch that videos, we thought that uh, why don't we share with people? Because usually uh, after the disaster, heritage experts uh, reach the site like a couple weeks or a couple months later in the early recovery phase. We never have a chance to see what's happened really in there, how people respond. Uh, usually they ask me that, uh, 
Is it really they are they concerned about the heritage just after the disaster? Uh, yes, actually, respond is yes. When you watch the video, they all say that after we checked our family and the loved ones and we make sure that they are secure, we just run to the heritage site and check the building. Because uh, all of them believe that uh, that is because they spend all of their life, they dedicate their life for protecting that heritage. And the continuity is very important, uh, not only for physically, but psychologically important for them because they, it was in there before them and they wanted to be the channel for continuity. That's very important for them. Then we decided to bring the story. We had only one episode, actually. The president of ICOMOS, Nepal, Kai Weise, uh, encouraged us that, why don't you to, uh, film the first episode? Then we found a voluntary team. Everybody is a voluntary, by the way, on this uh, project. And uh, we did the first episode. Then we continue. Uh, especially the areas, uh, the terrorist group attacks. Uh, some in some episode you will see that, like uh, uh, Mali and Pakistan. Mm -hmm. This episode is quite different than the uh, disaster, like an earthquake. I'm trying to avoid the, using the natural disaster. <laughs> Sorry, it's quite hard for me not to tell. Oh man, yeah, we've scared you, right? Like yeah, you, you scared, scared us. You scared me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You know, man. Like, I mean, I'm an uh, architect and academician uh, in in some part of my life. And when when you give a talk about this kind of uh, risk management, disaster, post disaster recovery, you are talking from your experience. We thought that mm -hmm. uh, we need to just channel to them. We just let to them the what they think, what they feel, how they feel, what they react just after that. And therefore, uh, we choose to this time not tell our stories, not tell what we understand. We want to be a channel to bring their stories. Zainab, that's a, a great point and something we've been talking a lot about in um, this second season of ours in Disasters Deconstructed. Um, how and like, how do we allow others to tell the stories that are important to them rather than um, just focusing on what we perceive as being important? So, like in your iCorp on the Road project, how have you been able to? Kind of curate those stories and decide which stories are told um what sort of input do people have into that actually stories come by themselves and we knew the friends and we knew the areas we were uh, looking for a long time to hold the heritage sites like under the attack like in mali in pakistan in uh, india we knew all the problem but we were not sure uh, sure that if people uh, accept to talk and accept to share their uh, stories, how we can convince them. Um, because these are big stories, many people know, 
and uh, we wanted to show that uh, uh, how you call that the gray part or the uh, black part. We never know that really what's happening, and it takes a time to convince the people, especially the. Uh, when the terrorist groups attacks in Pakistan and the problems in Mali, it was quite difficult uh, how to reflect that stories. But we knew that uh, not only affected that community, but affected whole uh, heritage world. Therefore, we choose that stories. And uh, we, we are so glad that everybody accepts only, only, I think only, during that uh, six episode, only two people after giving their interview, uh, they changed their mind. Other than that, almost uh, right now, uh, 70, more than 70 interviews we did in around the world. They all very brave people and share all of their story with uh, open hearts. They all share their stories. So one of the big challenges, I guess, in operating or telling stories in some of these complex environments is that people have different um, opinions and they have different sides of their stories um, and you might be um, trying to put together a documentary piece to show multiple sides so what are some challenges um, in doing that and some ways that you have um, dealt with that problems in a for me personally, actually, the language is a big barrier sometimes because we always convince the people to speak their own language. So uh, the language is coming from culture and uh, their action. Uh, sometimes translation is not so good enough. And sometimes, uh, like in Brazil, when, we, uh, when the chief Goa give a talk and uh, like he asked permission from the uh, nature of God for giving a speech. Uh, we usually do not use to this kind of uh, tradition, uh, like how they talk. And we have a di first we had the difficulties for how we will reflect this kind of things, how we will reflect their uh, emotion, how we will uh, translate their emotion to the episodes. Uh, then we try to use the power of the camera uh, because sometimes their face expression is uh, give more information than what they speak. And uh, it's really uh, interesting also see that uh, how after the attack in Mali and Pakistan and uh, President of ICOMOS Mali and President of ICOMOS Pakistan uh, in different phrase, but they they told the same things that especially Fauzia Qureshi uh, he uh, phrased very good way. He says that at the end of the all attack to our heritage, we figure out that they didn't come for the land; they just come for our history, our heritage, our identity. That was. Uh, Interesting to, uh, in different parts of the world, the story is not changed. That was very important to uh, reflect that kind of, that kind of things. Of course, the big challenges. We are working on voluntary basis. We didn't want it to be a part of the, um, uh, like, uh, we didn't, we just wanted to use this as an open sources. 
And therefore, sometimes we have a difficulties to continue. Uh, but when we start to release the episodes, each country start to invite us like India right now. Uh, two weeks ago, we finished the Kartarpur Corridor story. It's great because we did the episode uh, four in Pakistan, other part of the border. And the people on all uh, tell the similar stories different than the politicians actually. That's amazing. And, you know, I hope that the audience will be able to see that when all the episodes come out, that the story is very often the same. And it's yeah. media very often that creates that different narrative, right? Rather than people, we just don't give them the opportunity to, to voice, so. to tell the story. So. <laughs> well, so, yeah, lots of challenges. And I, I know, I, I can only imagine, you know, how difficult it must be to, to deal with this all. But... What are the exciting things that you see? You know, tell us some some inspirational stories because I know that you see so many. Yeah, actually, we have also the many uh, good memories. Actually, the best things is about that uh, project. You know, uh, you have lots of friends on the road, and in case of any problems, now they know that they can communicate with us and we can continue to give a voluntary hand to them. And I have, we have also uh, uh, interesting stories. Like uh, when we finish the first episode, we come back to uh, Istanbul and then we figure out that uh, nobody knows Navari language, actually. And we needed someone for translation. And uh, uh, we had a problem for communication uh, via internet and, and uh, sending the images. Then we were looking for someone and we couldn't find anyone. Then suddenly, in by chance, we figured out that one of the heart surgeons working in Istanbul is uh, from Nepal. And uh, he gave us a, yeah, in her night shift, he gave us a hand till morning, all the translation. Then when you look at the Instagram account, you can see that one of the first pictures is belongs to doctor uh, giving a hand for the translation. I think this make it, make this, all the stories is amazing uh, because people are, when they learn that all the team members are working voluntarily, and they all wanted to be a part of this. I think this is most important than to uh, find a big uh, grant and do the whole episode. It's like piece by piece, like uh, put brick by brick and build something together. That's what I feel. But it's really good, actually. That's amazing. I hope it keeps building. I hope there'll be so many more bricks. Thank you. We usually uh, wanted to show our photos uh, during our shooting and everybody thinks that we have a, our uh, private jet. That's uh, where you look at the photos from uh, Mali episode that belongs to actually World Food Programme. And uh, then we say that, uh, okay, it's better to remove this photo, otherwise we will never have a chance to get a support from many places because people are thinking that, oh, yeah, you're on jet. That's great. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, it was an air uh, uh, it was an air attack in Timbuktu and the airport had a damage and we couldn't fly back to Bamako and we stayed in there and the Munisma camp for a couple of days and and but when we had that time to uh, we figured out that we will not be able to fly to uh, Timbuktu on time and back to and we joined to uh, first aid to cultural heritage team of Aparnatandon from Ikrom. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. We joined their team and we give a lecture in there, and we again meet with the great friends and uh, yeah, uh, lots of like Senia when I met with you and you prepare a text for us and uh, yeah, this is. I mean, it's great. I mean, you met with many great people and they all volunteered to help. That's great. <laughs> so, so where where have you recorded now? So it's Nepal, India, Pakistan, Brazil, Mali, and where else? And right now, uh, we are we just finished, as I told you, is we finished the pack, uh, Nepal. Then in Turkey, yeah. Diyarbakir. Uh, oh, Turkey, Turkey. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Uh-huh. Then Pakistan, Brazil, yeah, and India. Yeah, if we can co- if we can continue right now, uh, we stopped and uh, we will continue to find the support. Uh, but if we can do it, I really like to continue with Yemen and mm-hmm. North Iraq, maybe in close future, Syria, I hope. It's uh, all goes correct. And also Australia, the bushfire, if we can do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's many, many stories to need to bring because, you know, uh, when they talk about the post-trauma recovery, their approach is uh, totally sometimes different than what we think. Like when we go to the temple, we think that that's the heritage building, but for them is the place for reaching the God. They wanted to repair as soon as possible. Sometimes we are spending too much time for uh, arguing that the techniques and the systems, but they just wanted to do it because they need that. And it's uh, so um, it's good to bring their ideas uh, Ex, um, I mean, like uh, ordinary people's ideas, what they did, uh, extraordinary things is very important because they feel when they uh, try to do something on the first uh, times of the disaster, just after the disaster, uh, they forget their loss. Uh, they concentrate on something as bigger. Uh, that's uh, amazing to listen their stories like in Timbuktu under the fire how they uh, rescue the uh, manuscripts Pakistan also how they evacuate uh, midnight the, their museum it's all great stories Thank you, Zainab. This was really interesting and really inspiring. And I'm sure our audience will find it absolutely fascinating. So yeah, check out the show notes for the links to the iCorp on the road episodes that are out now. 
Yeah, thanks so much, Dana. Our listeners will love to learn more about your process of, of making these documentaries. It fits in really well to what we've been talking about in the past few weeks about um, creating art and creating content and how do we bring these stories of real people to the audiences that need to hear about them. So I think it's it's a great addition to our schedule this season. So thanks so much for being with us, Dana. And so just a reminder to all our listeners, thanks so much for being with us again this week. You can follow us and tweet us at DisastersDecon on Twitter and Instagram. And just to encourage you all to share our episodes, we would love to bring in some new listeners as well. So if you find anything useful that you've been listening to, please do share it. Please leave us reviews on iTunes. We appreciate all of your support. You have been listening to Senia, Jason, and me, Zeynep Gunnar, on Disasters Deconstructed Podcasts.